0: I'm so excited about the worship song, Closer, that I feel like I just want to skip the whole sermon. I love worship. I love worship so much. But, the, but I'm not going to do that because, even though I know it would be permissible by God and everybody, because I think that sharing this word with you will enrich the meaning of that closing song. And that closing song is called, The Goodness of God. I'm going to share three passages with you, verbatim from Scripture, before we get into the sermon that talk about, uh, Jesus and Jesus sharing and Jesus moving. Uh, three examples that I think are very important as we come to the word today. Luke 4, 16 to 21. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. Now on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Remember, this was his home church. He began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Matthew 11:29, 29, on which hinges our current sermon series. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek, I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And perhaps one of my favorite interactions of Jesus, Matthew 19, 13 to 15. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them and prayed for them, he went on, Today's message is about the beauty of the heart of Jesus Christ. Which I think those scriptures really show us in a really powerful way. I've talked to many of you about your your backgrounds. Many people grew up in in the Catholic church in this area. Many of you were altar boys, I know. If I were to ask for raised hands, you'd probably say I was an altar boy. Um, Many people have been, been brought up in church. I myself as I've shared with you before. Heard teaching about God for a very long time uh, before June 2001, which is when I came to Saving Faith in Jesus. In June 2001, I was finally able to taste and see that God is good for myself. Since that day, I've been on a a journey in understanding God and His ways and His love. And uh, and all that teaching I heard when I was younger in church did not did not make sense we did not activate in me with that with that grace and the gospel and the truth and uh and the love that's found in knowing jesus and not just knowing about him but knowing him those things have started to make more sense to me over the years you know love has to come first we have to see god of course that's a lifelong journey for all of us to do that you know during my childhood I heard so- sermons on the Ten Commandments. That was a big, a big, long sermon series. I don't know how many years it went on. Um, I heard historical stories from the Old Testament. And I might have even heard the good news in that at some point, the gospel about Jesus dying in my place on the cross, uh, which we remember today in communion. But all of that was framed, all of that theology, all of that thinking about God was framed through a legal framework and thus, it was somewhat sterile for a young person to take in. I just didn't, didn't get. It. I didn't hear it. I didn't, didn't receive the love of God through that. You know, my, my core need as a child, which every child's need is to know that they, are, loved by God. And every person, that's the need that we all have to know that we're loved, by God. And many people pass through churches. They pass through the doors of churches. They pass through the company of Christians, and they still don't receive that message, that they're loved by God, that God is love, and God loves them. And somehow that that message was lost for me in the midst of this picture of an uncompromising judge on a throne and a jury shouting at me, you're guilty. And uh, and so while, while hearing Jesus died for you certainly should make you feel loved, when that death is constantly qualified and framed, talking about how there's nothing good in you, and you are, you're, you are, uh, there's nothing you can do to earn it, you don't deserve it that it's somewhat arbitrary, you know, those things confuse the issue for me, even though there's true doctrines in there. There's true doctrines in there. We don't earn our salvation. You now, apart from God, our, even our good deeds are like filthy rags, those, those things are true, but for a, for a child, for a young person, I just couldn't get to the love of God at that time. I needed to hear love first. So amidst the controversies in the church about infant baptism versus believer's baptism, I don't know if you've, you've been through churches that have that controversy, um, And and in the midst of a crusade from the senior pastor to knock out and replace the beautiful stained glass windows in our sanctuary that portrayed Jesus leading his little lambs and the apostles. Somehow in the midst of all this adult controversy and angst, I missed the beautiful, loving heart of God the Father and of Jesus Christ, the Son. And I I did not see clearly that though even though those sermons I heard and those teachings I heard contained truth, um, I did not get that God was motivated by his great love for me and for people and for the lost and for the world, the Bible says. And that that's why he came to do all the saving work that he came to do. In many ways, this is what this book, Gentle and Lowly, is all about that we're going through in our small groups. It was written for people who are out of balance in their theology who miss out on the personal knowledge of God's love for them and miss out on the, the truth that everything that God has done for us has been from a heart of love. Before we know anything about God and salvation and Christianity, we have to know that God loves us, that God so loved us that he gave his son for us. When we know that God loves us, then we can receive some much-needed help from God that comes in the form of discipline. Now we need to be set straight on things. We do have sin problems that are hurting us that we accept and are destroying our lives. But when you don't know that God loves you, the smallest amount of chastening, the smallest amount of discipline feels like, oh, then if that's how God feels about me, then I must not be loved. But the scripture says clearly that he disciplines those he loves. So again, even in the discipline of God we are supposed to see He's taking time to discipline you and to convict you and to, to lead you because he loves you. That's where it's all coming from. It's not this religious phenomenon where he wants you to become more worthy to receive his salvation and grace. He's disciplining you so that you can live a more fully alive life in Christ as he intended. He does it because he loves us. But if you do not have knowledge of the love of God, that's a scary thought. You can't take that in. You can't receive from that it makes you cower in many ways. It's like a family who, who's living in near po- poverty, and you know, out of love, the parents in this, in this family, they make a decision that one of them will stay home with the kids, and the other will work two jobs in order to provide for the family. That way the family can have its physical needs met, the children can benefit from more time with at least one of their parents, and it's decided that in this system that mom will stay home with the kids, and dad will work various shifts in different jobs, which cause him to have only a very small amount of time free each week. And the problem is that during that free time, as is often the case, he pretty much has to sleep in order to continue to hold up his end of the loving bargain he's made with his wife for the good of their family. You know during this time, you know, this is a fictional this is certainly a fictional story, but do you see how a child could miss out on the fact that their father loves them in this situation because they do not understand the heart of love that made this plan to take care of the family that motivates the father to be away from the family for long periods of time. You know, the kids can miss out on the love, even though the father is lovingly making every effort to pay for them to have a happy, safe, secure childhood. But the father's absence remains a mystery to his kids in many ways. They do not know how his heart burns for his children. You know? They don't know about the tears he sheds in his parked car during his lunch break in the, in the parking lot as he receives pictures and texts and videos of the events his kids are doing. They don't know about that weeping and the cost that he's paying because he loves them. And because the children do not understand, they conclude from all of this that daddy must not love us very much. And that is nowhere near the truth of that situation. But children cannot help but miss the love in this situation unless someone explains what's going on to them. And when the children understand, then they can see how everything that the father and mother are doing for them is out of love. It's out of love to help them. It's because of the the, the love of the father that this plan is happening. And the father is paying the price. Not just in working so many hours, but in self-sacrifice. Exchanging the comfort and even the joy of being with his family so that they can be safe and taken care of. My pastor in my in my formative years growing up was trying to do a good thing. He was in fact a good person. Uh, he was he was about my age as I am right now, and he was very very concerned for for my soul as a child and for the people in the church, fellowship. And he wanted everyone in the church don't take God's grace for granted. That's what he wanted his greatest concern in all of his sermons, and in his, even in his crusades about knocking out the beautiful stained glass windows, it was, it was because he believed those were graven images and they had to go. He wanted to, he wanted to glorify God. That was his heart. But somehow, in trying to glorify God by emphasizing some of these near truths out of the context of God's love, myself as a child, I, I missed out on the grace and love of God for years. The Bible has a commandment born out of great love in Hebrews 12, 15. You can pull this passage up for me, Stephen. And this command that's born out of God's great love is not a command for pastors only, for elders or church leaders, though it does include them, and they ought to lead in these things. But it's a command for every person in the entire body of Christ. And I believe it's what God wants us to take heart this morning. It's so a sandwich between a command that we should make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy, for without holiness no one will see the Lord, in verse 14. And then sandwich between that, verse 14, and verse 16, which says that we should not be sexually immoral or act as one who does not know God or is godless. There's verse 15, which says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See, to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one falls short of the grace of God. What, what, what can this mean? You know, what, kind of, what kind of a dance is this? What does it mean to fall short of the grace of God? For those who have been in in class for some time, you may have heard lots of definitions of grace. And uh, and, and truthfully, most of those definitions are born, if you look at all those different definitions together in different books, you can kind of see what grace is. It's a big concept. But fundamentally, in the context of the Bible, in the context of you and me, and our faith in God and following him, grace is an unearned gift. See to it that no one falls short of the unearned gift of God. And the unearned gift of God, which we've pictured in communion this morning, refers to the supreme act of self-giving, selfless love that Jesus displayed for you and me on the cross. That's the gospel of grace. Self-giving love displayed for you and me on the cross. When we misunderstand God and we fail to see that all he has done for us comes from his heart of love for us. We miss the giftness, if you will. We, lift, we miss the giftness of the gift of God. And behavior follow, follows that. that characterizes someone who doesn't act like someone who is dearly loved by God. Which is, in fact, the reality. Whether you know it or not, that's the reality. That each person is dearly loved by God, made in his image. In fact, you know, the result of missing the grace of God is a life that is defined in our passage in Hebrews as being godless. Meaning, no knowledge of God. Filled with things that do not characterize a person who is dearly loved. Things such as relentless sexual immorality, as defined by God. Lack of peace. Lack of holiness. Even deep deep, deep bitterness It's constantly growing and producing more bitterness because it's a root in your life and this bitterness comes up and there's a harvest in the words of our passage a bitter root that grows up to cause trouble and defile many people when we fall short of the gift of God which is the self-giving love of Jesus on the cross for us, we fail to receive that gift because the gift must be received and opened in order to be apprehended by the, by the, by the taker of the gift from the giver if someone falls short of that gift their life is characterized like someone who's not loved by God not dearly loved no motivation towards holiness what's the point of trying to live within God's confines of sexual morality what's the point what's the point what's the point of trying to be holy what's the point of holding on to this inheritance Well, the point is, when when you've really been loved by the love of God, the self-giving love of God, when you have received the gift of God's grace, you get a whole new nature and a whole new set of motivations that begin to work inside of you. And you begin to look like someone that's dearly loved by the Father. This is why God placed the book Gentle and Lowly on my heart for our church. We're about halfway through this book. And, uh, and, you know, from me to the elders, to, to you. And we want you to know that no matter what you learned about God or have learned about him in the past, that before all of these things beats God's heart of love, which colors and defines all that God says and does. Even if it seems at times God is hard to understand, mysterious, even harsh, without the revelation of God's great love for you, all this other knowledge about God, Bible studies, gifts that you have, deeds you may perform in Jesus' name, they end up being like what's described in 1 Corinthians 13, which is a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Primarily, we as human beings made in God's image, like I said, we need to know we're loved by God, the God who calls himself love. but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. His love is made complete in us. My greatest concern for you as a pastor, and Greg's greatest concern for you as a pastoral elder, is that you'd fall short of of experiencing the gospel, the grace of God. That you would not receive the love that God is pouring out on your life, and that you would live as someone who is not loved, who is godless. When God is in your life, everything changes. I love the church sign on First Baptist Church in Saratoga. It's across from my house. This time it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17, I think. Um, if anyone is in new Christ, he is a new. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone; the new has come. You know, if someone has not fallen short of the gift of the grace of God, they're a new creation in Christ. they received the love, and they they receive the love of God. My you know, my greatest concern is that in all the teaching we do at New, at new Life, or things you might have brought with you to New Life teaching you've heard you miss the grace of God. Now, let's not do that, because there's, there, there's nothing more important than knowing that God loves us. There is nothing more important than knowing God loves us. Because life is hard, and it's not getting easier. There's difficulty in life. We have to know that God loves us. When we're sitting in church and things are relatively good, we have to know. Because when things start happening, we, and we begin to wonder, what is going on in my life? There is, there is a God who wants to walk with you and explain and show his purposes in all that he's doing in your life and allows into your life. But you must know that he loves you. As Our, our deepest need is to know that we are dearly loved by God. For every child, every child that like Jesus placed his hand on and prayed for, and every adult, likewise, that Jesus delivered, spoke the truth to, saved from, from public shame, every adult, every child needs to know that God loves them. It's not just a bumper sticker or a t-shirt. It's not. It's the truth. God loves us so much that he gave his only son so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gift is, is the scope of the gift is huge. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. All of us, every person made in his image, we've been saved by the self-giving love of Jesus Christ, the Son, who'd been filled with God's spirit as believers, as the word says, because desi- God desires not just to save us, but to live in us and live among us in his body. That's crazy. He, he, uh, his spirit desires, desires to dwell in you and dwell among us in the church. You know, our, our mind is supposed to be saying to us, God loves you. Our heart is supposed to be saying to us in our emotions, God loves me, you know? And even if your physical body should occasionally fe- feel, um, even, even our physical bodies should occasionally feel the sense of the presence of the love of God in you, around you and other people, especially in corporate worship like this, where believers come together who all have the Holy Spirit and they say, "We are the body of Christ, and we join together singing one song, praying one prayer, we should feel the love of God even in our bodies. That's awesome. We all eat from one loaf and drink from one cup. Well, Catholics it's drink from one cup, but, you know, we have hygienic cups here. A little, So um, that's it's unity, you know? The earliest church manual in the first century church, they talked about the idea that, you know, the sim- symbolism of the table goes, goes beyond even what we've heard from Jesus, but it's one loaf b- being broken apart in many pieces, and then the many pieces coming together to form one loaf. Each of those pieces from one Peter bread it represents how we're all one in Christ it's amazing you now in our mind our minds in our emotions even in our bodies we need to know that God loves us we need to know that for me open and shut case of scripture and the love of God and not missing the grace of Christ is the thief that's crucified on the cross next to Jesus And it just shows you what a gift God's salvation is and how much love God has. Because Jesus, when he was suffering the most and dying on the cross by God's plan for our sins because of God's love for us, he was not not just agonizing on his own and ignoring everything happening around him. He heard the cry of a thief who did not know God, who was godless, who was immoral, who was wicked, who was being crucified for legal reasons that made sense, unlike Jesus' crucifixion. And he he cried out to Jesus. He believed Jesus was the Son of God. He had heard about Jesus. He said, Desperately, remember me in paradise. You know, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this very day you will be with me in paradise. I mean, this guy had no chance to repent, he had no chance to change, he had no chance to earn anything or make a contribution of any kind. He did not, but he did not fall short of the grace of God. He didn't fall short. And Jesus saved him Jesus very often in, in the in the Gospels he takes things that we know and then uses them to tell us about things we don't know so he ta- takes agriculture and seeds and planting and seasons and he uses these things to teach us about himself Jesus even used ideas about people people that we know a, a, an unrighteous judge he, he a, a father you know you you know these things here's something you don't know so I'm going to do the same with you. As I've, as I've asked many people who, when we talked about this topic of love, imagine the most loving person you've encountered in your life. Now, was, it, was it your mother, your father, one of your grandparents? Many of you, it's grandparents, an aunt or an uncle, a friend, your spouse, one of your children, sweet young children before they start? No, I'm no, just kidding. Kidding, kids. Imagine the most loving person you've encountered in your life. For you dog people, I know it's a dog. I know it is. Because you love the unconditional love of dog. Um, I know dog people are like that. I'm going to even float this to you dog people. Imagine the most loving person or dog that you've had in your life. And in all seriousness, as funny as a chuckle that is, Jesus would say that the feeling of love and care that you feel from that person, when you think of that person and recall them to your mind, or that animal, Whatever that feeling is, that great love and care that person or animal has for you, it's but a shadow of the great love and care that God has for you. And this is not some kind of unbalanced prosperity, teaching, preaching, seeker-sensitive mumbo-jumbo. This is how Jesus explains himself to people, to convince people that God loves and loves and cares for them. Luke 11:9. 9. I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door it will be opened to you. Everyone who, everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, is comparing with people we know, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? It's a, it's a pretty emphatic thing, you know? We all, as fathers, fall short. We all have selfish motives with our children sometimes. We're not, perf- we're not a perfectly loving, pure father. But God is. And if even a bad or, or comparatively bad father uh, is not going to give his kid a scorpion or uh, or poison if they ask for bread and water, how much more your Father in Heaven, who's completely pure, completely loving? Now, he's not going to do that either. In fact, it's going to be quite the opposite. 1 John 3, 1-3. to three. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, What we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have that hope in them purify themselves, just as God is pure. At Uncommon Grounds downtown, our beloved local coffee house, you can get a delicious bagel and cream cheese and coffee for like five bucks, even during this time in the economy, which is awesome, because all the vitamins are on those. But for those who know, you must not simply ask for cream cheese on your bagel, but only for a schmear of cream cheese, which is a Yiddish word, just refers to a bagel covering of some kind, but what they mean by it at Uncommon Grounds is uh, an amount of cream cheese that won't choke you to death. You don't want to get the full cream cheese experience at Uncommon Grounds. You will have three to four bagels worth of cream cheese. That's totally true, and I have, and even if you love cream cheese and you just want to eat it by the brick, like maybe Olivia, I don't know, you like it? (laughs) We, we both love cream cheese. so um, I'm, I'm kidding, of course, but yeah, yeah. You're not, it's not a reasonable amount. It's gross. Um, but you know what is not gross in excess is the self-giving love that the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. This self-giving love that motivated him to send his son to the cross for us in love so that whoever believes in him would not perish to have everlasting life. John 3.16. Now, God's love is his primary characteristic. It comes first. It always comes first. Everything he does, even if those things are mysterious to us and don't make sense to us, flow from love, even his discipline in our lives, even the hard things that come along in our lives. God's love is underneath those things. And if we do not know and experience God's love, we can learn lots of true doctrine, lots of true teachings about God, but we will end up being formed in the image of a God that is not love. We'll miss the grace of God. Our lives will look not what they're supposed to look like. Just a a few examples. So I just want to make sure, as, as, as your pastor and the elders would say, we don't want any of you to miss out on this fundamental thing that is underneath everything else we teach you and talk about in our community. We must never miss an opportunity. And again, this is not for pastors and elders, but for everybody in the church. See that none of you... None of you fall short of the grace of God. See that no one falls short of the grace of God. You know, speak this gospel to one another. Make sure no one's falling short of this gospel. Let's never miss an opportunity to share that vision of the, of the, the, the beforeness of God's love, the primacy of God's love you know, with the most vulnerable people among us. And I'm, that's where this passage just hides into the beginning the children. The children blessing them, praying for them, loving on them, let's never miss an opportunity to make sure that none of our children are are missing out on falling short of the grace of God. Um, Young people in our church, the broken and vulnerable among us right now that are holding ourselves together temporarily for, for, for worship service, you know, and people that come and visit us, let no one fall short of the grace of God. Everything flows from God's heart of love. You now, the God of my childhood did not draw me in. I knew that people at church loved me. I knew my parents loved me. I knew God was real. But I had no access to God's heart of love for me. It wasn't in my mind. It wasn't in my heart. It certainly was not in my body. I felt in my body a weight, like when you wear those lead aprons and they x-ray your teeth, <laughs> you know? <laughs> those heavy lead aprons. And ironically, other teachings about God, even some good, true teachings, began to build build walls in me that kept me from what should have come first, which is knowing that I'm dearly loved by the Father. And when you get cut off in the very place that you're supposed to get connected to God, when you get cut off in that place, truly, truly you're hopeless and you're in a tough spot. And things things are very different since June 2001 for me. Because of Love-based preaching, you know, deeper, deeper looks into the Bible, deeper uh, studies, small groups, and discipleship processes I've been through. Um, My ears have heard of God, but now my eyes have seen. And that's the amazing thing about coming to know God in that way. I want to read to you a selection from Gentle and Lowly. In our churches today, we often refer to the glory of God and the glory of Christ. But what is it about God's glory that draws us in? and causes us to conquer our sins It makes us a radiant people is it the sheer size of God a consideration of the immensity of the universe and thus of the creator a sense of God's transcendent greatness that pulls us toward him no Jonathan Edwards would say it is the loveliness of his heart it is he says a sight of the divine beauty of Christ that bows the wills and draws the hearts of men a sight of the greatness of God in his attributes may overwhelm people But seeing God's greatness is not our deepest need, but seeing his goodness. Seeing only his greatness, the enmity and opposition of the heart may remain in its full strength, and we will remain inflexible. But one glimpse of the moral, spiritual glory of God and the supreme amiableness, the supreme love of Jesus Christ, shining into the heart, overcomes and abolishes this opposition and inclines the soul to Christ by omnipotent power. Amen.